the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. go sharing this, one of the beautiful things about helping people to understand their need for Christ is your story. If you are a Christian, you know Christ is your Savior, the best way to communicate this basic understanding of the gospel is your own story. And nobody can take that away from you. That is your story. They may not like it, but that is your story. Your story is one that is unique. No one else has experienced Jesus the same way as you. This is your testimony, and it's worth sharing. As Pastor Gary will remind you today, your personal encounter with Jesus is something no one can argue with. However, it just might be the story that prompts them to seek help from your Savior. Share your testimony with those who are hurting, those who desperately need the hope that only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 10 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The only way to get saved is Jesus. Now, at this point, when some people balk and say, well, you know, this is the problem with you Christians. You're so narrow-minded, you only think there's one way. Here's what I try to help people understand. Think about a horrible disease like cancer or AIDS, something like that. If you're some great scientist and you came up with a cure, I mean a legitimate cure, take this pill and AIDS is eradicated. Take this pill and cancer is eradicated. I guarantee you, nobody, if they had AIDS or cancer, would be asking you, is there another pill? If they saw how desperate their situation was and realized that this was the cure, they would run to you. They would beat down the door of every hospital to get that cure. So it is important for us to help people to understand their condition necessitates a Savior. So try not to look at the way as a problem. I don't have a problem with God saying there's one way. I'm glad he made a way. Amen? And a way is the way, and it's Jesus. So help people understand their desperate need, much like you would, here's the cure for something that is killing you, and then people would be more willing to rush to receive it. But fourthly, the fourth spiritual law is we need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to be saved. John 1.12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become sons of God, children of God. Acts 4.12 says salvation 
is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. And that's Jesus. So it's really this simple. God loves us, has a wonderful plan for our lives, but sin has separated us from God. We're all sinners. So Jesus Christ dies on the cross to save us. He bridges the gap between a pure God and sinful humanity. And therefore, number four, we need to receive Christ as our Savior. Those, are the four, that's, those four spiritual laws basically communicates the human need for a Savior. That is the plan of the gospel in a nutshell. Now, when we go sharing this, one of the beautiful things about helping people to understand their need for Christ is your story. If you are a Christian, you know Christ is your Savior. The best way to communicate this basic understanding of the gospel is your own story. And nobody can take that away from you. That is your story. They may not like it, but that is your story. And you can insert yourself in all of those four laws. You can talk about how there was a day in my life when I realized how much God loved me. I didn't really accept it or understand it at first, but slowly I began to realize how much He loved me. And I recognized my own sinfulness because I'm not perfect. Nobody is. I trusted Christ as my Savior, that He's the only way to be saved. And I invited Him into my heart. And then you share. You share your story. Here's a beautiful thing about evangelism or you know, sharing your faith. There's a verse. It's 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 15. That says this, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Let me read it again. It's 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Peter's telling us basically three things in sharing your faith. First of all, be an example. He's implying here that the way you live is in such a way that it will light a fire under people to ask you. That's what he says here. Always be prepared to give an answer for those who ask you for the reason that you have this hope. There should be something about our lives that is an example that ignites people out of curiosity. What is different about you? So that's one thing he says. Be an example. The second thing he says is be an expression. Express. Always be ready to give an answer. Express here what it is that you have that they need. And then thirdly, give an explanation. Be an example give an expression, and finally give an explanation for the hope that you have. So I say this because let that take some of the pressure off. Sometimes when we think about evangelism and sharing our faith and being a witness, we we think of it as, uh, I got to be like a used car salesman. Okay, now no offense to you who are here as used car salesmen. (laughs) Uh, But you know how it is, like if you're walking through a car lot, and it could be a new car salesman too for that matter, and you're going and you're just kind of shopping around, you're sticker shopping, you're looking at cars and you're walking through a car lot and all of a sudden, you know, you barely get out of your car and you you approach the window to look at the sticker and all of a sudden, zoom, (laughs) 
Where'd you come from? Hello, can I help you? Do you want to test drive? You know, all this kind of stuff. And you're just like, whoa, I just am trying to read the fine print here on the window. Give me some breathing room, please. And some of you think that you need to be a witness like that. You know, like somehow you got to, okay, if I really love people, I'm going to pounce on them like a leopard. (laughs) You need Jesus. You know, and I... Just relax. Nobody, nobody wants that, okay? Even the most desperate person who doesn't even know they need Christ doesn't need that. Now, having said that, okay, if you have the zeal, let's just be real. Some people, I'm just talking in general, personality right now, some people are 150-watt people. You know those people? They're 150 watts, okay? They're just, you know, they're like, they're glowing crazy. And some of you are 40-watters. Just a little dimmer, a little quieter, okay? And you know who you are, and some of you are somewhere in between. So there's 150-watt people, and there's 40-watters. And the 150-watts are like shining the light. Woo, it's, you know, it's a, and it's a spotlight. It's like, you need Jesus. Okay, you need to get saved now, and if you don't, you're going to hell. You know, and the, oh, whoa, turn it down. Well, the 40-water is, you know, on the other extreme. It's like, you know, I, I have something to tell you. I, uh, maybe tomorrow, you know, and... <laughs> And, and let's get at least to like 60 watts. Can we try somewhere in the middle where you're not like overwhelming people with the gospel, but you aren't shy about it either and trying to avoid the whole thing? So the beauty is of 1 Peter 3.15, and it takes the pressure off of us to have to just be this, you know, salesman, like I'm just going to, I got to close the deal, is live your life in a way that people will actually be drawn to you. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? In the sense of having to, like, close the deal. You just live for Christ. You be an example of Jesus. People will start asking you. And that's the best open door. Because when they start asking you, now the door is wide open. You didn't go kicking that door down. They started asking you questions. Now if they don't like what you have to say, okay. But at least you weren't the one who was so aggressively you know, trying to share that it becomes a big turnoff. Just live your life in such a way that you will draw the questions. People will come to you. They will start asking. Then you share with them your story. That's an important distinction. And when you start sharing your story, here's another bit of advice. When you're talking about eternal life and you're talking about heaven, this advice is from Charles Spurgeon. When he was teaching his students the great 19th century preacher. When you are sharing about heaven, let your face be beaming with joy and excitement. When you talk about hell, your regular face will do. (laughs) That's what he said. So when you're talking about heaven, actually look like you look forward to going there, okay? Let people see the joy of the Lord on your face, heaven, eternity, forgiveness of sins, Jesus dying on a cross. Share that with great joy, but live your life in such a way that people will be drawn to you and ask you, ask you. You don't have to always go kicking doors open. Let them ask, rather, and then you be prepared to reply and respond. The other important things about all of this is rely on the Holy Spirit, because this is not about your skill. This is not about how good you are with words. This is not about how much scripture you've memorized. This is really about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit working through you. 
And if you are just an available vessel that says, Lord, you know, here I am, send me. I just want to be used by you. I just want you to open up the doors. I want you to cause people to ask. I want you to bring about the opportunities. I don't want to force this. I feel like I don't always know what to say, how to say it. I don't know enough scripture verse. And just you pour your heart out to the Lord like that and say, Lord, I'm just an empty vessel. I want you to pour through me in the lives of other people. I'm available. Use me. Then rely on the Holy Spirit. And let him do his good work through you. Don't take this all on yourself like, I've got to be the best communicator. I've got to get this whole plan down. I've got to, you know, it might be good for you to just kind of, in practical terms, kind of work through your testimony. Think about the short version, you know, and how you can share your faith with people. But beyond that, don't labor over how skilled or not you are, how eloquent, how much scripture you Just allow the Holy Spirit to use you. You will be amazed. And you'll stand back. See, that's when God gets all the glory. Because when you stand back and you realize, wow, that person just received Christ, and I feel like I blundered through everything I just said. Well, that's just testimony that the Holy Spirit was at work. And that's the beauty of it. See, then God gets the glory. But it's also important to recognize, and I quoted this verse a few minutes ago, but it's out of 1 Corinthians 3. And, and Paul's talking about this as well, this kind of context. He's rebuking the Corinthian church, and he says, look, there's divisions in the church. He says, because some of you put Apollos on a pedestal, and some of you put me, Paul, on a pedestal. And he says, you know, look, neither of us are anything. He says there in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5, he says, we're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Now listen to this. He says, this is 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted the seed. Apollos, who was one of his missionary traveling buddies, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. God gave the increase. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes it things grow. So sometimes you will only be called upon in kind of a divine appointment moment, to plant the seed. But you don't necessarily, you know, lead someone entirely to, through a prayer of salvation, they might come to know Christ. Maybe your responsibility is just at that moment, plant the seed. Maybe soon or maybe many years later, somebody comes along and, and waters it. They share their story, and, and then God is the one who moves in the person's heart to bring about salvation. You know, a lot of times I think to myself, when I have the opportunity and, and feel led of the Lord to just give a personal invitation for people to come to know Christ, I think this often to myself. All I did right now today was water something. There was probably already a praying grandmother, a praying mom, a co-worker who had shared earlier. They just came to that particular service. It was God's appointed day. I had the privilege of just watering something. Somebody else planted the seed and God gave the increase. If you, again, take the pressure off, okay? A lot of times we're paralyzed, and this is what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you and I to just not ever share anything because we overanalyze, we get ourselves all worked up. We think about, I got to get from testimony to praying and get them to receive Christ. And, and that, of course, may very well happen, and that's a wonderful thing. But take the pressure off. Maybe only God wants you to just share your story, and you're done. And somebody else is going to come along and actually lead them to Christ and they pray what we commonly call the sinner's prayer. Just be a vessel that God can use, 
recognize he'll use your personality just as you are. You and I are just the vessels. God gives the increase. We only plant. We only water. God is the one who saves people. But we have to at least be willing to be used. Pray. Ask. Go. Be the vessel that God would use. Just like Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. Beware you're going into a hostile world from time to time. Some people won't like it. Some people will accept it. Some people will reject it. They're not rejecting you if they reject you. And they're not even accepting you if they accept what you're sharing. They're either believing or rejecting in the Lord. So, if you lead someone this far and you then want to lead them in a prayer, you've heard me lead people in what we call the sinner's prayer. It's just basically getting them to acknowledge this, these four things. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Today I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Sometimes the gospel is so simple that we miss it because we overcomplicate it. So my prayer for all of us is that we would be people who are, you know, from this story tonight, make this more a matter of prayer in your life, where you would just ask the Lord, give me the opportunities, let me be used by you. I want to be a vessel. The fields are white unto harvest. So, Lord, you're the Lord of the harvest. Send me out where I work. This isn't just, you know, a mandate for missions, although that's part of it, obviously, but it's a mandate for where we live, where you work. Where you go to school, your neighbors, your friends, wherever you interact, that's the harvest. So, Lord, send me, then use me. Now, let's just finish out this section here. We won't have time to get on to the story of the Good Samaritan. That'll be for next week. But after he shares all this, boy, there's kind of a sharp rebuke here about those who have rejected his message. Because in verse 13, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, that's a town, Woe to you, Bethsaida, that's another town. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, it's another town, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. And that word depths in the Greek is actually Hades. And so he's indicting these three towns, Chorazin, Bethsaida and Capernaum. Why those three particular towns? Again, just reviewing a a map of the Sea of Galilee, those three towns were at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And they formed a triangular area between the three of them, which is where the most concentrated aspect of Jesus' ministry occurred. In a few square miles on the entire planet, between Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, that was Jesus' ministry for the most part. That's why he is saying to them they're indicted because they were exposed to a greater light than Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were two other cities in what today would be modern Lebanon along the coast of the Mediterranean where Jesus did visit, but he didn't visit there very often. There's only a couple of examples in the Bible when he went to Tyre and Sidon. Primarily, he invested in the people right here. And then he even compares them to the people of Sodom. Because he's saying, listen, we know that Old Testament story about Sodom and Gomorrah. They were judged because of their immorality. And and Jesus is saying that these people will be judged more even than Sodom. Because they were exposed to a greater light 
These people had the very presence of the Lord Jesus where he said most of his preaching, where he communicated it verbally, where he demonstrated more miracles than any other place in that triangular area, and yet they refused him. By and large, they rejected him. So when we go to Israel today, these are tourist stops. There's no lodging there. There's no, there's no town. There. People don't live there. These are abandoned towns now where people go and take pictures of ruins. It is a picture. When you go there and you're taking a picture of these ruins and, you th- and we think about these verses, it is a picture not only of you know, the, the physical reality but the spiritual reality. There's death here. There's emptiness. There's nothing. Because these people were exposed to the greater miracles and the greater messages of Jesus and they, and they rejected him. So he pronounces judgment upon them for that reason. And he adds there in verse 16, He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, pause there for a second. So they come back rejoicing, and Jesus hearkens back to, because he's, he's God, Jesus, and so he has, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he says to them, yeah, I remember the day that Satan was expelled from heaven. Because Jesus saw it. He was there. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He's talking about the fall of Satan when Satan, known as Lucifer, was one of the archangels of God in heaven. Rebellion filled his heart. Pride filled his heart. He rebelled against God. Many angels with him, known as demons, and he was kicked out of heaven. It's interesting, when you look at the trail in the Bible of the fall of Satan, you see Satan falls from heaven to earth. Then the Bible talks about how he will be sent from the earth to the abyss for a thousand years during the millennial period. Then he will go from the abyss back to the earth for just a short time to test the people. And then the Bible says from the earth to the lake of fire. That's his fall. Heaven to earth, earth to abyss, abyss to earth, earth to the lake of fire where he will be punished forever and ever. And when Jesus talks to you about giving you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, again, you know, there's, there's some small circles of, of Christianity which believes that to be a very literal thing, and they, you know, they have snake handling services and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in the context, those are probably euphemisms for demons, snakes and scorpions, because he, he talks about that between Satan and I've given you power to overcome all the power of the enemy. So probably just uh, words talking about all things demonic, all things satanic, that, that through Jesus, uh, he's given us that power and that strength. But then he adds this. So they come back like, hey, the demons even submit to us in your name. Whoa, isn't that great? But he adds there in verse 20, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And he says basically to them, do not rejoice about what you can do for God but rejoice about what God has done for you. The most important thing is that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that you're going to heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. 
For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know.